Welcome to the ARPA Animal Rescue of the Week podcast, featuring outstanding organizations around the country that are helping animals and the people who rescue them. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Dubert.com. Dubert is a free website designed to connect volunteers with rescues and shelters, and the only site that automates rescue relay transport. Let's meet this week's featured animal rescue. Maddie started her career in animal welfare back in 2013 at the Oshkosh Area Humane Society as a dog walker when she was just 18 years old. She later took a position with the Nina Animal Shelter before starting Lucky 7 Dog Rescue. After starting with only a handful of volunteers and one foster home, in less than one year they were able to grow their team to 176 loving and dedicated volunteers with 40 foster homes, and they now have a brick-and-mortar outreach center in downtown Green Bay, Wisconsin. Since developing their office location in downtown Green Bay, Lucky 7 has exceeded all of their original goals for growth and now operates with a team of over 300 volunteers and 96 foster homes. Hi, Maddie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Of course. We're really excited to have you. You guys are doing some amazing work, uh, and I'm excited to to jump in and, and learn more. Why don't you tell us about Lucky 7 Dog Rescue? Absolutely. So Lucky 7 is an entirely volunteer-run foster-based rescue. Um, And then just recently in July, we developed a brick-and-mortar office location in downtown Green Bay. So even with that new space, we do remain entirely volunteer-run, so we don't have any paid staff. And essentially what our mission is, is to promote positive animal welfare throughout our Green Bay community, as well as across the country. And then also, um, you know, develop positive educational opportunities for people in our community and then really be involved in the community as well. That's really cool. Um, I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about some of your community outreach programs. Um, let's start a little bit about why you started it. Um, we talked about the community. Tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you got into the animal welfare world. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I had actually never planned on really being involved in animal welfare. Um, Where I was from, there was an animal shelter, but they were really successful and there wasn't really a whole lot of need for involvement when I was a kid there. They primarily worked to transfer dogs in from, you know, other parts of the country that might be struggling with overcrowding or, you know, looking for opportunities to transfer elsewhere. And then I went off to college and I was actually a pre-med major to start. So, you know, for two and a half years, I was going through the pre-med program and was a very science and math and numbers kind of person. And as a freshman, I started volunteering at the local shelter near my um, college town in Oshkosh. So the Oshkosh Area Humane Society. And I was anything from, you know, taking the dogs out and playing to cleaning up kennels to helping with feedings. And the more I got involved there, the more I was able to really bond with some of the staff and develop relationships with other volunteers and learn more about you know different needs for animal welfare not just you know throughout the Fox Valley area but also spreading even back to my hometown in Green Bay um, you know with some things that I wasn't aware of and then different ways that there were needs for help throughout the country as well so I kind of fought it at first you know my love and passion for animal welfare and I was like I can volunteer and I can do other things but I really want to stick with pre-med and I want to learn more about that and how I can maybe partner the two But that just wasn't what was meant to happen. Um, The more I learned about shelters, and like I said, the more I bonded with those staff, um, I just felt like I was needed elsewhere, that I wasn't necessarily needed in the human field, but maybe in a way that we could work with humans 
and animals. So I ended up switching my major. Um, and essentially what my major was when I switched was overseeing kind of like business. So it was human services leadership with an emphasis in nonprofit fundraising, um, management and startup. So it gave me the tools that I needed to start a rescue, um, develop, you know, some protocols with working with other organizations. And essentially what Lucky Seven started as was to be a resource for, you know, other parts of the country. So what really pushed for the start of our own rescue was after going on Facebook and trying to find um, placement for a dog in need, we stumbled across a video of these seven little Rottweiler puppies. And you know when you're like on Facebook or Instagram and you see an adorable video and you just watch it over and over again and you're like, oh my gosh, look at those cute puppies. (laughs) And um, then I actually started to listen to what the person was saying in the background. And she was talking about how those puppies were out of time at the shelter that they were at down in Houston, Texas. And, you know, at 19 years old, I didn't really know what that meant. Um, up here in Wisconsin, we don't really have like an out of time issue with shelters. Um, they stay there until they find families or they're transferred to other locations. But usually, you know, animals aren't being euthanized for time or space. So I did a little bit of research and I started reaching out to that shelter to find out more about what was going on with this litter and trying to just answer my own question of, you know, what that out of time that she kept saying meant. And from there, I learned that the shelter that we primarily work with down in Houston, they take in about 80 animals every single day. And that was just hard for me to even really understand. And um, so I kind of jumped at the chance of trying to get involved with them. And myself and two of my girlfriends, Sam and Elizabeth, we jumped in my Jeep and we just impulsively drove down to Houston. Um, and on the way there, we learned that, you know, three 19-year-old girls can't just walk into a shelter and take a litter of puppies back to Wisconsin. <laughs> that's, you know, that's not really an option. <laughs> so once we figured that out and we were like, oh, wait a second, we can't do this, um, we realized we needed to be affiliated with a rescue. And so frantically in the car, I was just emailing, you know, rescue after rescue saying, I promise we're not crazy. We really do want to help these dogs. Um, Will you vouch for us? Will you, you know, partner with us to get these dogs out of the shelter and get them back to Wisconsin? And that was how we developed our relationship with Lola's Lucky Day. So what Lola's Lucky Day does um, down there is they take the dogs from the shelter, they place them into foster homes, and they get them vetted. And then from there, they were they transfer them across the country to their rescue partners. And Larissa, the founder, is actually from Wisconsin originally. And so for her, she had a soft spot for us. And she's like, you know, these young girls are trying to do what we're trying to do. And they were in their very first year. And so very naturally, it just made sense for us to partner and work together. So when we got down there, we literally drove down there, we got the dogs, and we drove right back to Wisconsin. We didn't spend the night, we didn't really slow down for a second to think about what we were doing. And then as we got back, we learned all of the different things that come into transferring, you know, getting these dogs in for their health certificate and getting them checked over by a vet and making sure that they're okay and making sure that we were following all the protocols that we needed in order to be successful and in order to help those dogs find homes. And what's funny is that very first trip when we returned, we said, oh yeah, we can do this again, like maybe once a year. 
and we ended up going to Texas almost every single month that very first year that we did it. So we just learned so much about all of the people down in Houston at Lola's Lucky Day, Larissa and Mandy and their team of people that are just working so hard to go above and beyond for these animals and advocate for them. And we just knew we wanted to be a part of it. So we were kind of able to work from there and everything else was very just an organic growth after that. I read a little bit about this story um, previously to the mm-hmm. call, and I was uh, very intrigued by it. And now hearing all of the details that, uh, you know, you're mo- we find that most people who get into animal welfare are very naive in the beginning. Right? Absolutely. They just want to help. They don't really have a goal. They have no idea what their end, their end task is going to be. But that... Is it, I mean, that's an exact replica of what we hear over and over and over again, mm-hmm. right? We just want to help. We don't know the details. We'll figure it out as we go. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what's so different about rescues versus shelters um, is the fact that they just want to help. Just right. Want to help. Um, and so really what came out of that is it, it sounds like a fantastic relationship uh, with a group in, in Texas. And you still work with them today? We do, yeah. So um, about 80% of our dogs actually come directly from their rescue. So the shelter that they work with, Harris County, it's one of, I believe, three shelters in the Houston area. And that one shelter, Harris County, they take in about 80 animals every single day. You know, when I first got started going back to that naivety that you were talking about and just wanting to help and not really understanding what to do or how to do it or how these things happen, you know, everyone always asks us like, oh, why Texas? Or why does the South maybe have some overcrowding issues? And they hear stories about Alabama or Louisiana or even Southern California. And a lot of people, you know, here in the Midwest, we don't necessarily have that problem. So it might be hard to understand. And for a lot of people, it might make sense to just go to a breeder. Um, you know, or things like that. But the truth is that these issues are happening all over our country. And even if it feels disconnected, things like social media and reaching out and building those relationships with other parts of the country really help us to better educate ourselves about how we can make a difference, not just for the animals that we're helping, but for the people too. Um, I'm always preaching to our volunteers and even our community in general when they come in and learn more about what we're doing is how hard those fosters are working down in Texas to save these dogs. And even though they're not able to save every single one, they put their hearts on the lines to just go above and beyond and make sure that any time they do have with a dog is a positive experience for them. Yeah, no, I think that's, you know, I think that's really great. And it's great that you acknowledge all the work that the volunteers and the foster homes put into this, um, because I think often they don't get that right. recognition. So I think right. that's great. So I have a question for you because we often hear that there's resistance uh, in communities when they hear about organizations bringing animals across state lines, mm-hmm. right? Instead of helping the animals locally, mm-hmm. do you get any pushback from the community? Do they wrap their arms arms around this? What does that look like for you? Do you have any any tr- any struggles or challenges? Yeah, Rachel, that's a great question. So when we first started, I definitely felt like not necessarily that we were getting pushback, but more that we were getting people who weren't understanding the why. So we would get a lot of that, whereas, you know, why don't you help dogs here? 
why don't you help dogs in our community? But so about 80% of our dogs are coming from Houston and the other 20% are local owner surrenders. So if someone reaches out to us and they've fallen on hard times and they're not able to provide care for their dogs, we offer them some options. And if we can, we take that dog into our program as well if we've got a suitable foster home for them. And then same thing with local shelters as well. So we try to build really positive relationships and interactions with other organizations throughout our state. So if they have a dog at a shelter that's maybe not thriving in a kennel environment, they can contact us for help with finding a foster home or maybe just transferring the dog into our program completely. So we definitely do our best to help everybody. And one thing that worked really well for us during the educational process as we were starting up was just explaining that to people. We do occasionally get an owner surrender request, but we're not getting 80 requests a day. And so that kind of helps them with understanding like when there is a need here, that's our purpose too. Our purpose is to help everyone, not just in Houston, but here in Wisconsin and all over the country. If we get a request for a dog anywhere, our goal is to do our best to help them or provide the people who are advocating for that dog the tools that they need to help them. So I hope that kind of answers your question a bit. I think as we went on and we had the opportunity to just sit down and talk with people, we've done open house where we've invited people in to learn more about us. And our volunteers will ask questions too about what do I say when I post my foster dog on Facebook and says and someone comments and they say, oh, you know, why are you taking a dog here? from Texas and maybe not a dog from a local shelter. And what I like to explain to people too, that is a lot of the shelters here in Wisconsin, they're actually taking dogs from other parts of the country as well, because the need here in our state just isn't quite as severe as parts of the other of the country. Yeah. So it sounds like the educational piece is is huge for what you guys are doing um, within the community. Uh, and I think that's great. I think that's one of the things that makes you guys a little bit different uh, mm-hmm. is the educational side of things. Now, I know you've had um, Lucky 7 Dog Rescue for a few years, mm-hmm. um, and I want to ask, because I think it's important, um, there's always growth and education, and we're always learning different things. What are you guys most proud of that you've accomplished mm. in the last three years? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Honestly, I have been really proud of our volunteers. I just, I have to go back to them because without them, we really wouldn't even survive. Um, on our very second transport, um, my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, um, and I, we had 26 dogs in our house. So yeah, we had 26 dogs in our house and I was pretty sure I was still, you know, 19 at the time, 19 or 20. And um, I had no idea what I was doing. No clue. And I was, you know, keeping them separate to try to keep them, you know, healthy and make sure that, you know, paths weren't crossing or dogs that didn't like one dog wasn't with another dog. And we were getting them, you know, volunteers to take them out for walks. And essentially we were like operating an animal shelter in our tiny house. And it was a huge learning process for us. And then people started to learn about what we were doing and they're like, oh, I could foster that dog. And we'd give them the tools that they would need in order to foster that dog. And they would be able to volunteer and help advocate for finding the right home for them. And, you know, in a very short time that first year, we had essentially one foster home. Um, We ended up picking a couple along the way and we really only had about four or five volunteers. And in three years, we now have over 96 active foster homes and 300 volunteers. So, and it, it is because of them that we've had this growth. 
And I really try to explain that to people when they're asking like, you know, how did you do this? Or how did you do this? And it's like, it is always a team effort. It is not a one woman show in any way, shape or form. And I'm really blessed with a lot of amazing people. When we developed that space back in July, it allowed us to take people into positions where someone could oversee foster training and foster management and someone could oversee events and someone could oversee adoptions. And it's been a, it's been a learning process for sure. We've never done that before. And, you know, and I'm only 23 still and trying to learn how to manage a team of 300 people um, as a volunteer has been interesting and it's been challenging. But for the most part, it has been amazing. It has been an incredible journey, you know, at every turn and at every crossroad and none of it would have been possible for without volunteers and without people that love animals and love people and want to advocate for making our community as dog friendly as possible. So that's definitely what I'm most proud of is all of them. Yeah. And and that's quite the growth uh, in three years. Um, mm-hmm. So it sounds like you have dedicated volunteers. to kind Absolutely. Of you said the volunteers and the, the different programs that you have going on. And you did mention this physical location. So I do want to talk about that a little bit more. So when you first got started, you were just running this out of your home mm-hmm. and you just had an opportunity to show up that you took advantage of. Tell us a little bit about yeah. how that came about and, and some of the programs that you offer um, in some of the events that you do in, in that location. Tell us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. So in probably about February of last year, we had reached our highest point of growth. Um, And it was becoming very evident that in order to keep moving forward, we needed to find a physical location. And to be totally honest, to start, we had a little bit of resistance. It was, how are we going to be able to manage this space as volunteers? And how are we going to be able to do this if we're not having paid staff? Because that's something that's really important to us is moving forward that we remain volunteer run. I think it's something our community is really proud of. And it's something we're all really proud of too. So we kind of pushed back a little bit and I had some of my really dear friends, you know, that I would get together and kind of talk things through and get advice on stuff. And they're like, you know, are you ready to take this on? And um, I was engaged at the time and planning a wedding for September. And then I also was reaching graduation. And I was also living about an hour away from our central location at the time. So it was, it was a big change for, you know, not only the organization, but for myself as a human being as well. And just so much growth and learning. And so when, um, graduation came, it was May. Um, I was like, all right, I'm going to take six months off. I'm not going to look for a job. I'm not going to move forward and starting a professional career until we get lucky seven to the point where it's a little bit more self-sufficient and where we can operate in a way that I'm confident will be sustainable moving forward. And what was needed, what needed to happen was we needed to find a space. We needed to have somewhere for donations and we needed to have somewhere that we could do our transports instead of doing them at volunteers homes or at my own home. And so for us, that just made sense. And I was online um, for probably like two or three weeks and I searched everywhere and we couldn't find a single thing. We couldn't afford to buy something. That was out of the question. We couldn't find anywhere that would lease to us or rent to us with having dogs on the premises, you know, pretty much daily. Um, And nobody was really on board with the idea. So one day, um, my two of my girlfriends, Taylor and Katie and I, and they're both on our team as well, we were headed over to a coffee shop downtown and my friend Taylor, she's actually not from the area. She's from Ohio. And so she didn't know where the coffee shop was and she pulled up a block before the coffee shop. And we got out and I was like, oh no, it's okay. We'll just walk. 
And we get out of the car and right in front of us in this beautiful building is this huge for lease sign. And I'm sitting there staring at it and I was like, why have I not seen this on any of the websites I've been looking at? I'd reached out to realtors and had never seen this space. And it was in a prime location. Um, Our on-Broadway area in downtown Green Bay is just really like up and coming. And there's all of these really cool stores and very modern ideas for business. And it was definitely where we wanted to be and we couldn't find anything. And so I dialed the number right away and we called and left a message um, saying that I was interested in coming in to see the location and we go down and we get coffee and we don't hear anything back right away. And so when we're sitting at coffee, we're like talking and we're like, oh, it's probably like, you know, $10,000 a month. There's no way we're going to be able to afford this space. It's just way out of budget. There's just no way. And it was actually way under budget. He called us back and it was like half of what we would have been willing to pay for and what we would have been willing to afford. And the owner of the building is a huge dog lover. And he was so excited for what we were going to be bringing to the table and what we were hoping to do with the location. And so we just hit the ground running. We signed our lease on um, June 5th, the day before my 23rd birthday. And we had our grand opening on June 23rd. So in less than, it was about two and a half weeks, we pulled off a grand opening and open house weekend. We moved all of our stuff in. We had a transport where I believe we brought in like 14 dogs and it was just awesome. And all of our volunteers were so supportive and everybody had a hand in just jumping in and making it successful. And it's allowed us to kind of change the way that people see animal welfare. So we've done birthday parties there. We're doing a bridal shower there next month. Um, We've done foster trainings and open house. We've been able to be a part of our downtown farmers market where sometimes we have a hundred people coming in the door to kiss these puppies and socialize with them. We've had people who have stopped in after having a horrible day or after receiving really bad news who have been able to sit on our couch and, you know, enjoy a glass of water or a cup of coffee and pet dogs and talk with people who love people as much as they love animals and feel like they're in a place that's really welcoming. So it's just really opened the doors for us in so many ways. And even though it's brought a lot of change to the table, it's all been really good change. Yeah, it sounds like all really good change. Do you, for the listeners out there that that are Mm -hmm. in the area, do you, can they contact you for an event? Is there, how does that work? Is, are they your events that you put together or do you welcome the community to come to you with ideas or if they want um, something specific, do you work with them for for programs like that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is a great idea. So, um, or a great question, sorry. So when people are looking to get involved with us, they can reach out to us directly. Um, it works well if they email our promotional team and it's promotions at lucky7dogrescue.com. And then from there, our event coordinator, Taylor, will actually kind of streamline the process for them. She is awesome. She works in Milwaukee, but I swear I see her once a week. She is always here in the area helping us with something thing and she's creative and passionate and she's really, you know, positive to work with and just a glowing positive force. And she's always willing to kind of take a hand and help people out. And so we do plan all of the events. Um, sometimes or like other organizations will reach out to us to partner. Um, we have a really cool um, event coming up in December. It's called Picks with Pat pups and Santa. And we're able to collaborate with some of the other animal welfare organizations in the area like Happily Ever After and kind of show how these different nonprofits are working together because we all love animals. So we welcome people to come and get involved with us. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, 
I definitely like the community aspect of what you guys are doing. Again, it's very different um, from a rescue standpoint. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really, really incredible that you guys are looking to partner with, you know, with various organizations and the encouragement um, to get more volunteers signed up. Now, for that physical location, do you guys have standard hours? We do, yes. People stop in and see you. Yeah, so we're open on Tuesdays from 11 o'clock to 2. And then on Saturdays, we're open from 10 to 1. And then we do have an intern coming on with us in January, and she'll be picking up an extra day. So she'll be there on Thursdays from 4 to 7. And again, all those people that are in there working those open hours, they are volunteers. And it's really incredible. We have one family of volunteers on our team, um, Mandy, her husband, Chris, and their three girls. And they are just amazing. They're huge assets to us. And Mandy actually works those Tuesday open hours. She's in a volunteer management position with us and she drops her kids off in the morning at school she goes home and like throws in a load of laundry and gets some work done then she heads over to the rescue for 11 a.m to open and hangs out until two o'clock before going and picking up her kids from school so it's a busy day for her but she loves animals and she loves talking with other people and it allows us to give more opportunities for people to come in and get to know more about us and what we're trying to accomplish yeah, you know, I'm I'm blown away um, by this physical location, as you can tell. Um, so I think it's great, and if we can do anything to kind of help spread the word and absolutely and more volunteers and and more people involved, that's what we strive for here. So thank um, you, thank you. I do want to ask. Right, we've talked about a lot of positivity and and things are going well and the growth is is going great, but I also know that you know with rescues there are challenges, right? With whether it's with the animals that you guys are taking in or in the community, do you have any specific challenges that you're, that you're seeing uh, either with the community or the animals? And, and have you guys come up with a plan to overcome those? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So one of our biggest challenges is communication. So with us being an entirely volunteer run rescue, all of our people, you know, that team of 300 people, they all have, you know, full-time jobs. They have husbands and wives and families, and they've got, you know, other things that they're investing their time into as well. And a lot of our communication is done through Facebook Messenger and texting. So there's not a whole lot of face-to-face -face communication, which can sometimes allow for information to get misconstrued. So, you know, misinterpreted or misunderstood as well. So that's one of our biggest challenges. And as far as like for the future moving forward and also a plan that you had mentioned, if we have a plan in place on how we can kind of combat that is really making sure that we're having as much face-to-face -face communication with people as possible and that we're having really good protocols and policies in place. So every un everyone understands what the expectations are, not only for our organization and our involvement in the community, but also for our volunteers and our team leaders as well. So we really focus on staying positive. It's really easy in animal welfare to get burnt out or feel overwhelmed or overworked even, or maybe if they're having just a really hard day in their personal life and then something just goes horribly wrong on the rescue side. And that can be a lot for some people to handle. So we try to stay really positive when we're communicating with other people and being really understanding with them as well. So if things come up and a volunteer isn't able to make it, 
it's no blaming. It's no like, oh, you know, we really needed you there for that. It, it sucks that you're not there. It's like, no worries. Life happens. Like, don't worry about it. And then we move forward and we make sure that we have things in place so that if something does go wrong, we're able to have a plan that we can move forward and stay positive and laugh it off. Um, for example, we had a transport last weekend and we had all brand new volunteers coming in and bringing dogs and it was super fun for us to have these new people on our team and be able to work with them and help them learn what a transport looks like. Because sometimes, you know, when we're bringing 15 dogs in to a thousand square foot area, it can be a lot. And if we've got people all over the place and supplies all over the place. And so we like to bring everybody in and like show them like the excitement of that transport day. And um, we spilt a bowl of water and then I slipped in the water and fell over and like paperwork goes flying and like everyone just laughed it off. It was like, you know, it's one of those days and you have to shake it off and move forward. So that's something that we really try to, um, you know, pay attention to. And another thing that we focus on as far as a challenge is retaining really good customer service. So when we first started, I knew the names of all of our adopters. I knew their addresses and which dog they had and what their name was when they left the organization and then when they went home. And we um, had this awesome rapport with not only our fosters and our volunteers, but every adopter and every donor and every organization we were working with. And as we continue to move forward and grow to this large operation, it's really important for us that we keep that good customer service and we continue building those good relationships and that we don't lose sight of the people who are making it possible for us to exist. So as things have continued to grow and change, other people have left the organization and moved on or started new jobs or had changes in their life. And we want to be able to know that we can keep moving and keep sustaining our organization for a positive future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you don't have a plan in place for for the growth that you guys had of had in the last three years, right? You're in trouble. So Absolutely. You have, to have some structure um, mm-hmm. so you know how to grow, right? Mm-hmm. Without losing that that small town feel. Exactly. Um, yep. Yeah. So that's really great. So one of the other things I wanted to ask about is because you guys are, you, how many foster homes did you say you had? 96? 96. That's correct. Yeah. So do you have resources for those guys or do they just reach out and email to, and, and email you with questions? What does that look like? Because managing 96 foster homes can't be can't be an easy task. Right. That's a great question. So we have um, a foster supervisor, Lindsay, who kind of oversees our Brown County area. So, you know, throughout the Green Bay area. Um, and then we also have a foster supervisor, Brett, who oversees the Fox Valley area. And Brett is actually being deployed. He's in the Army Reserve. So he's going to be leaving us at the end of next year. And it's going to be a huge change for us. And we're really sad to be losing him. But he loves his job. And he's excited for what's in store for him moving forward. But allowing ourselves to have a team of people that can help oversee those 96 homes allows us to be able to keep good communication with them as well. So essentially what our foster supervisors do is they manage the dogs who are coming in and making sure that we're placing them in appropriate foster families. So each of our foster families has a folder, an online folder that myself and all of our team leaders have access to as well. So there's notes on them in there if they have children or a fenced in yard or other animals. So we know that the dogs we're placing in their homes are going to be able to stay there until they find their forever family. 
And then from there, we use a Facebook group. So Lindsay or Brett will post a photo with information about the personalities of these dogs. And then if people are interested in fostering them, they can comment or reach out for more information. And then we sign them up from there and we commit to taking that dog into our program on their designated transport date. So it sounds like a lot and there's even a little bit more steps that go into it than that. But having these people that are really positive and good communicators and able to follow certain protocols and practices allows us to get dogs in, get them into homes that work for them and then promote them for adoption from there. Yeah, it definitely sounds like your two leaders have their have their hands full and, mm-hmm. and uh keeps them busy for sure. It does. It really does. And every single day we're, you know, communicating with maybe, you know, like right now, if I look at my phone, I've got, all right, 13 messages from foster homes. And that's 13 individual people who are either having a dog in their home right now or a dog coming next weekend or a dog coming next month. And they want more information about how they can be a successful foster home. And like I said, those relationships to us are really important. So we focus on responding to them and getting the information that they need and building friendships and relationships that will last as well. Yeah, I think that's you know, again, I think it's really incredible what you guys are doing and the growth you've had in, in such a short amount of time is is definitely commendable. Thank um, you so much. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty awesome, actually. Um, so you mentioned the Picks with Pups yes. in December. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything coming up in 2019, early springtime 2019 that people can be on the lookout for? Yes, absolutely. So one of the biggest changes that we have coming for 2019 is we're going to be doing our best to um, plan a year-long calendar of events. So there will be three big fundraisers that we'll be doing, and one that I can kind of give people an update for for this spring is going to be a golf outing. So it's something that we've talked about in the past that we're super excited about. And um, Taylor, our event coordinator, has been to quite a few golf outings and it's one of her favorite activities. So she is pumped about hitting the ground running and kind of getting this prepared and taken over and everything like that. And then we also have an awesome partnership with Thrivent Financial, and they're looking to get involved with the golf outing as well. So that's going to be one of those big things to keep an eye out for in the spring. Yeah, that's awesome. And do you have, is that all posted on your website? Do you have like an events page or where can where can people get in touch with you? How can they find out more information? Great question. So we do have an events page on our website. So if you go to lucky7dogrescue.com, you'll be able to click on a tab that says events. And then once all the details are finalized for an event, we do post them up there for people to be able to see and sign up um, and get more information that way. But we do also post like teasers, and like little, we drop little hints and things about things on um, Facebook and Instagram as well. So they can follow us on Facebook. It's Lucky the Number Seven Dog Rescue, and then also the exact same handle on Instagram. That's great. Thank you for sharing that information. Hopefully, we can get uh, get you some more volunteers and get yeah, we'd love that in the events coming up. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much. Of course. So one last thing I always have to ask is Mm -hmm. I love hearing about memorable stories. Is there one story that you have that just tickles you every time you hear it like just puts a smile on your face and you know just fixes the world for you that's a great great question so there's so many honestly and um, at our foster trainings I tend to ramble a little bit about all of the exciting stories we've had and some are really heartwarming and some are like so funny that your gut hurts like your side hurts when you're (laughs) laughing about it Um, but one of the big ones is actually about a local dog Thor that we had rescued Um, and what's funny about his story is he is the longest dog who was ever in our rescue. 
And he was with us for um, almost five months, which for us is just unheard of. On average, our dogs are with us about two to four weeks. And that's from the day they come in to the day they find their forever home. And now one of the reasons, it might sound weird that his story is one of my favorite because he was with us for so long. But what I love about his story is that we were feeling discouraged and we were feeling kind of let down about finding the right home for him. And then the perfect home walked in the door and it actually ended up being someone that I went to high school with that I just adore and I think they're so awesome and they're just starting to, you know, build a family and like settle down and they're looking for a companion. And Thor is like a big bulldog, staffy, pit bull, you know, question mark mix (laughs) where you can kind of put like whatever label you want on him that you can. And he's full of love and snuggling and wants to play with toys and be everybody's best friend. And so for us, it was really easy to question, you know, why can't we find the right family? Why can't we find the right family? What are we doing wrong? And then, like I said, when that right family did find him, it just all made sense. You know, all the pieces really fell into place and we were reminded of something that we talk about quite a bit and that's that everything happens for a reason you know so if a dog were to come back and be returned to us it can be easy to kind of like feel sad and feel like we did something wrong but then like I was saying when they find that absolute perfect home it's like all the pieces of the puzzle come together and we're able to see why they were with us so long so in Thor's situation um, when he went home to that family When he first came to us, that particular family hadn't even started talking about getting a dog. They hadn't even, you know, really discussed it. And if Thor would have went home to another family before that happened, before they started looking for a dog, he would have missed out on what really, really was his absolute perfect home. And we get updates on him all the time. And what's super funny is the foster dad, um, Brad, was very protective over his foster Thor. He was like, we have to find the best home and they have to be awesome and everything just has to be perfect. And I love that. I love that about our fosters that they advocate for them so much. And then we also have a volunteer, Sarah, and she lives in Nina. And even though we're located in Green Bay, her and her daughter do so much for our organization. And she was working with Brad to help him find like the best family possible. And when the adopter showed up for that meet and greet, Sarah laughed out loud because he looks exactly like the foster dad, exactly like him. They have the same big bushy beard and they're really big, (laughs) tall guys and they're just super jolly and sweet and awesome and like both of them have the same interests and they listen to the same kind of music and it essentially was the same person. And so one, you knew Brad felt really confident about the decision, (laughs) but then also you knew that Sarah felt really confident about the decision and Thor, even though he's a super sweet, friendly, lovable guy, he's never just ran up to someone and like smothered them with kisses and like (laughs) chosen them. And he did that in this situation. And we like to kind of laugh and joke because we thought that maybe he thought it was his foster dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you they do know, right? They, they do. And they and they pick their human. It's, Absolutely. You know, everybody I talk to has a has a very similar story in that y- you can't force it, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's just as much about the animal, the dog specifically that they just pick them. They just know there's mm-hmm. something that they're drawn to and your story again reminds us of that. And so thank you for sharing. That's a very cool story about Thor. And I'm um, a lot of our volunteers, one thing that helps with being us in, 
you know, entirely volunteer run is so many of our volunteers and fosters build lifelong friendships and relationships out of this organization. And we really hope that people are able to carry those through every aspect of their lives. Um, we've had people who have volunteered for us out in the Appleton area or even, you know, more south than that in Ripon. And we have three people who came in on Sunday who are in the process of starting their own organization and they want to model it after us. And on Sunday, they came in to learn like all the ins and outs of the organization and what a transport day looks like and how we do our paperwork. And they've just been so inspired to take that and bring it to their community as well. And we feel so honored to be able to play a role in other people in, in their lives as well. That's a great way to, to end our conversation, actually. I can't think of a better honor, right? For Absolutely. To have other people look up to them and, and ask for their advice and their input um, to replicate that. That is... I don't have another word besides amazing. So. Mm -hmm. It means so much to us. Like people will come and they'll ask, you know, how did you do this? Or we had a networking night where people could come in and ask questions about how do you start a nonprofit and, or how do you start a business in general? What do you know about branding? All these different things. And our, our goal is to be a resource for everybody. Um, you know, because like we are the organization for 300 people and 96 foster homes in our green Bay community, but we want to be an organization that can help other people spread their own hopes and dreams for the future and develop their own mission-based organizations as well. Yeah, I think that's great, Maddie. So before we get everything wrapped up here, I just want to ask, is there anything else you want to share that we may have missed uh, with the listening audience? Oh, I think you did such an awesome job. The questions were perfect. And I really hope that people listening were able to learn more about our organization. And as far as getting involved, we welcome everybody. So you can fill out a volunteer application on our website. It's lucky7dogrescue.com slash volunteer. It's as simple as that. It's pretty short. Um, we believe we learn a lot about people by just getting to know them. And always stop into open hours or shoot us an email or reach out on any of our platforms. We're really happy to have you in, in any way. So even if you can't foster, maybe you can't attend events, we're always looking for people to help with, you know, marketing ideas or even just give us advice too. So <laughs> yeah, I think that's really great. That's really great information. And thanks again for sharing your contact information, Maddie. It was great to talk to you today. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for having us on. Thanks for tuning into today's podcast. If you're not already a member, join the ARPA to take advantage of all the resources we have to offer. And don't forget to sign up with dubert.com. It's free and helps automate the most difficult tasks in animal rescue.